Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me from a very safe distance away is the founder of Mission USA, Glenn Fitzgerald. I've had enough. Joining us from a social distance as well, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. I would like more. <laughs> would you, Jed? Please. Joining us all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where he is sheltering in his own place, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think that all of all the hosts on this show have a similarity in the personality where we're like, oh, uh, canceled plans for everybody. I'm good. Yeah. No doubt, yeah. Dude. I saw somewhere on social media, like one of those things, kind of like quizzes floating around, like pick one is like a bunch of images. And it was, what's the first place you're going to go after the stay at home orders lifted? And it was like, oh, out to eat or to a bar or to the gym. And one of the options was, I will still stay home. And I felt very seen. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> in that moment. So, yes, we are still sheltering in place. We are still, you know, things are a little bit up in the air. We're still having uh, online bridge services and tri-community church awesome. services. Lots of things are different in this time here and this year. But I think we need some sameness. I think we need some consistency. I think we need to declare an awful Christian movie emergency. Emergency? <laughs> Now, a lot of times, let you the listener behind the curtain a little bit. Oh, we'll we'll like send the link around. Somebody finds something like, oh, this would be fun to talk to on the show. Um, I this time I just found this when I specifically told these guys before we started recording. I will be revealing title and synopsis to you on air. Wow! Because we can't we can't spend any of the goodness. And I'm on the RottenTomatoes.com. The title of the movie: Assassin Thirty Three A.D. What? Oh no! So get that in your mind. Wait, wait, what do you wait, think wait, that wait, might wait. be? Wait, wait! Everybody, hold up now. Run that by me again. Assassin, thirty-three A.D. Okay. Uh, this, I, this, this is just right out the gate. This entire the title is writing a check. That the rest of this movie could not possibly cash. I, I tend to agree. And then we're going to get to the synopsis. And I'd like all my co-hosts and my our listeners at home to just take a moment. Just get in your mind what you think this movie might be about. And then just once again realize, much like the Church of Mania thing, you have totally underestimated how insane these people are. Okay. <laughs> I, I read. The young scientific geniuses behind the creation of a time machine see their oh. breakthrough co-opted by oh. religious extremists hell-bent <laughs> on erasing from history the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, for real? Okay. They will have to use their own technology and risk their very lives to prevent a change to the timeline that could end in a world-changing apocalypse. Uh, wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, you didn't, but, you didn't think of something that dumb, did you? So many layers. <laughs> okay. So they're going back in time to try to prevent the resurrection? Well, they the, the good guys, the guys create a, a, um, yeah. a time machine. It is immediately co-opted. Um, and some of the other uh, synopses have a 
a more robust description of who does the co-opting, and it is just as racist as you assume. Aha! But these people <laughs> decide they're going to go back and murder the resurrected Christ in order oh, to keep gosh. Christians down. Uh, okay. Here's the thing, Christians, uh, and, and everybody pull over. <laughs> okay? Wherever you're at, just pull over. Shift it into neutral. I know you have this weird fantasy that you're under attack. (laughs) This is what I need. uh, If I could put it to you in movie language, which apparently is what you're looking for. The call (laughs) is coming from inside the house. (laughs) The problems you got is you. There's There's no fantasy world where the world is just trying to keep you from being cool and having a cool story to tell. It's really just you. <laughs> you are messing your deal up. There's no look. We joke about time traveling cyborgs. You tried to make that into an actual movie. You can't do that. Yeah, the thing that I love about this that gets to the the psychiatric aspect is Glenn's pointing to there. We've hit a point where there's a certain group of people, and a lot of them profess to be Christians, who are incapable of having a thought an anger, or particularly a criticism that isn't some kind of projection. They're incapable of of accusing someone of doing something bad that isn't either what they are doing or what they definitely are revealing that they would do in that situation. So in this case, the premise (laughs) is we build a time machine, we go back, and we find out that something we thought wasn't true, the resurrection of Jesus, is true. Right. He is risen. 33, yes. we, we find it. It's not that they go and like put a rock in front of the tomb so they can't make off the body of Reverend Spiracy. He yeah. is, we see the, the risen son of God. And in their mind, the first thing someone would do is try to kill everybody so that they <laughs> didn't have to admit they were wrong about something. <laughs> well, that's, you know. They would le- that- literally kill God rather than admit that they had a hole in their own theology. I think you're saying something about you there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not what you meant, but yeah. Now, I have the IMDb page for Assassin 33 AD, which yes. really sounds like a movie Troy McClure thinks you might remember him from. Oh, yeah. But given that we're stereotyping what's going on here, there's there's uh, the main character... Has only is a mononym, only has a first name. I would like everyone to just take a shot. We've got is this Christian, one of the good guys or one of the bad guys? Uh, good guys. He's white, so I'm assuming. But Toby, can I have three guesses? Please? I jumped in with Toby. Go for it, Toby. Very no, good. You can't. You can't take Toby. Troy. No, that's guess number one. Caleb. Guess mm, number no. two. Kyle. No, no, no. Think <laughs> more mayonnaise. More white bread. Wow. Paul. That that would be something. Peter. Not biblical. I can give you that one. Okay. Because when you first said he had he had just one name, I was thinking, they're not going to lift Neo, are they, from the Matrix? That would be. <laughs> this is the fourth Matrix sequel. The, the Wachowskis have really gone, done some strange things, and here they are. I'm also glad that you brought up the the McClure because the thing I was thinking was the name Assassin 33 AD 
also sounds like a video game, which you could put right beside uh, the Bible Blasters video game. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Right. Well, uh, the name is Brant. Yes! Oh, B-R-A-N-D-T. Yeah. Brant. Brant goes back in time to stop Jesus-hating time assassins. Yeah. There is, on the IMDb, uh, one of the characters is named Ram. You think, well, surely that's Rom, like Rom Emanuel. No, R-A-M, Ram. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, can, can I ask this question? Please? Does Ram at any point headbutt anybody? I can only hope. <laughs> I mean, because in that case, I'll allow it. Like kind of in the can- big third act, all the, su- all the Avengers have to use their powers. Ram, yeah. get him! And he just headbutts right. somebody. I like it. You know how in, in particularly in the 80s, we had a lot of movies where it was the Teutonic bad guys? Sure. Yeah. Right. I'm I, I just want to put it out there. Just there's no possible way this is true, but it would make me happy. It's it's Ram and his last name is spelled Goditer, but it's spelled God Hater. Oh, that's nice. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right, really dude. on the nose there. Where's was... a turtleneck the whole time? Yes. Speaking of on the <laughs> nose, I'm gonna have to share this. The actual then there's only like this, he's the only character who gets a last name on the IMDb page. You got Brant and Diane, Mary, this kind of thing. Simon, a lot of Goyish names. His name is Ram Goldstein. And <laughs> okay. that's not even trying. That's, wow. <laughs> that's really unfortunate, man. Now you just made me sad. Speaking of unfortunate, the fourth build role on the IMDb for, and I'm going to keep saying it because it brings me so much joy, Assassin 33 AD, is... Um, Right behind Brant, Diane, and Ram's mom, who gets way higher billing than Ram himself, unfortunately, is Einstein. Wait, Played what? by a gentleman named Bo Davidson. And I am really wondering if that's character name or if Alfred, if someone's supposing to be Albert Einstein is in this movie. Yeah, they went wow. and got him. That, well, that would not be weirder than any of the rest of what we're looking at here. <laughs> yeah, the the weird part about this is, you know, on IDB they have like a little headshot beside the actor who plays the thing. You yeah. can tell just from like the collarbone up chest shot that this dude is who's playing Einstein is super jacked. Okay. And I hope okay. they just leaned into that. Yeah, right. buff Einstein. He just wore a tank top. Maybe something with a horrible Christian slogan from the late 90s on it. And just yeah. like in really the movie, Einstein is like solving problems and doing burpees at the same time. There it is. Yep. There it is. So many kipping pull-ups from one Albert Einstein. <laughs> well, I don't know what this says about me. Uh, and it's probably something awful. But I'm going to say it anyway. Here's Please. what it is. Uh, This is a literal fact that Jed and I had a recent conversation, like in the past couple of days, about the therapeutic value of being on lockdown, but playing Assassin's Creed and roaming through the countryside and feeling like you're outdoors. It's totally true. Based on that, and I don't know what this says about me. I'm more offended at the potential ripoff of the Assassin's Creed than I am <laughs> of the idea of wow. time traveling anti-Semitic Semitic people thinking they're going to kill a resurrected Christ that they didn't believe was resurrected. 
Yeah. Um, I like the idea that, <laughs> in my mind, the backstory, the headcanon, as the kids say, is that whoever wrote and directed this movie um, worked for Ubisoft for a short time. Yeah. And, like, pitched this Assassin's Creed and was summarily thrown out. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I think we all enjoyed that. And it's, again, there's a certain comfort to the fact that while a lot of us have our lives uprooted, we're changing our daily routines, we can't get out as much as we'd like to, we can't see people maybe the way we'd like to, there's some things in the world that continue unabated. And Christian's ability to make awful, awful ill-advised movies uh, continues just as it is. And there's comfort in that, Lee. Uh, I think we're missing one piece on this emergency before you declare emergency off, which is we need to have some kind of uh, movie trailer. Jed, give us some kind of spin off. He is in, he is risen indeed. Or this summer, <laughs> Christians of the world, listen up. It's time to ask non-believers what they actually think of you. From the minds that brought you common sense and learning how to talk to your neighbors, we present Being a Person, rated R. <laughs> hey, look, fellas, we've all made a lot of fun of the situation, but seriously, yep. I, I think there are a lot of people who would like to shoot Jesus in the face. Probably. No. That's, uh, I think, you know, I mean, I haven't ever heard anyone say that ever, or... Is it because they hate you, Glenn? Well, you know, <laughs> but they just really want to shoot Jesus in the face, y'all. No, no, they don't. I mean, we all know that if we had the ability to go back and see the, one of the great moments of the pillars of another faith, and that proved it irrevocably before our own eyes to be true, the first thing we would do is try to shoot that image. Yeah, I mean, just <laughs> this message this. brought to you by American Christians. Yeah, I just want to shoot this guy right in the face. <laughs> that makes total sense, y'all. <laughs> and on that rather psychedelically encouraging note, we declare emergency off. Now, um, yeah, again, we we hope to get our own movie studio up running one day where we can make "Be Like a Person," which will be like a 1950s industrial film. Where's Jed kind of walking around? Maybe a little animated Jed. Oh, hello! Jed. I didn't notice you there. That's right. You probably have a lot of questions. I call dibs on lab coat guy. Sure, sure. <laughs> you got to have a guy in a lab coat explain things next to it like a chalkboard, you know? Let's yeah, ask absolutely. this Christian Titian. <laughs> very, very well done. Uh, but for now, we're, 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 we start off on a bit humbler stakes. We put out Bridgebox every month, sermons, uh, you know, Bible studies, songs, and the like. You can get on board, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. And hey, if enough people get involved, we can uh, we can get a couple lab coats and a couple cameras and get this whole thing started. Uh, speaking of cameras, we are continuing to have the Bridge Live Bridgecast yeah. every Tuesday, 7.30 p.m. Chicago time. Lots of We are having a lot of fun over there, so do please come join us. And if you can't catch it live, um, everything is archived over on our Facebook page. Just go to the videos tab there, facebook.com slash thebridgechicago, and get caught up. All right, we're jumping to our first question here. If you can hang out with us all the way to the end, I'll use some ways to get in touch with us, or you can scroll down into your episode description and find the pertinent links there. First question comes in anonymously, and it says, Hello, I was just wondering if y'all knew of anything I could do to help prisoners, open parentheses, besides donating to you guys, of course. My dad was in prison for many years, so I know how it feels to have family in there. 
maybe a way of getting them books or something. A very cool question, as I, as I mentioned when I wrote back to our friend on our blog, um, whenever someone takes something that is deeply as traumatic and kind of life upturning as having a, a parent uh, be in prison for an extended period of time, it looks for a way to uh, bless other people with that and use their, what they have to help other people in the situation. That's a, that is something we definitely want to uh, celebrate and get behind. So Glenn, you've been uh, doing prison ministry for a long, long time. Where would we start off? Well, we've mentioned this recently, but it bears repeating, writing letters uh, has a huge, huge impact. Uh, you know, people, uh, you know, they're, these, these guys will read those letters over and over again. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where they, they do mail call and everybody gets excited and hopeful, and then they find out this is another week or whatever it is without any mail. Uh, or, you know, there's there's something very biblical about writing a letter to somebody and uh, giving them some encouragement. Uh, you know, that's it, it's something that where they can go back through it and read it and reread it and absorb uh, what you're saying on, on multiple different levels. Uh, that's having a very big impact with a very small amount of effort. Uh, so I definitely encourage you in that direction. Uh, and, you know, finding a, a, a local chaplain saying, I'd, I'd like to write some letters. Uh, can we set that up? That would be good. The second thing I would look at is when we talk about prison ministry in general, we're actually talking about two slightly different things. One is uh, prison ministry as, as in a state prison where or federal uh, penitentiary where people are being housed and they're serving a sentence and they may be housed there for a long time versus a jail, which is uh, a, a facility you're in before you go to trial. So you might be there for a very short period of time, and you might beat your case and go home. So that short-term versus long-term makes a difference, because long-term we have a lot of psychological struggles, a lot of uh, you know just dealing with life and dealing with the grief of being there. Uh, but if it's a, a, a more short-term facility where someone's serving a shorter sentence or is closer to the end of their sentence— then we want to be looking at jobs and housing. We want to be looking at making plans for when they get out. So it's a little bit of a different animal. And wherever facility you want to work with, you'll want to adjust according to that. Uh, the way that we do that uh, in terms of helping people once they get out is partnership. So just get on the phone and start calling uh, residential places, job places, whatever. Find out what is available in your area and help people with that. Um, if you want to know what has been the most successful that people have the least time to do with prison ministry, it's graded Bible studies, where you have a Bible correspondence course, people take it, they send it, and someone grades it and sends them back and then gives them a certificate. Uh, if you if you let inmates do that, they will do that all day, every day. Uh, I've known inmates that had four or five of those going simultaneously and was asking for more. Uh, if there's an ability for you to set that up, do that. You're going to have all the business you could possibly want. Uh, they want to learn their Bible. They want to feel like they're achieving something uh, and making the most of their time. Uh, I think that's super important. And finally, finally, you mentioned financially supporting uh, prison ministry, and I think that's something everybody listening to this ought to uh, pray about, whether it's us or anybody else who does prison ministry. It's it's worth researching, of course. Different organizations do different things, uh, but it's very hard for prison ministries to promote what they do uh, because they can't show video and they can't 
generally speaking, take pictures of what's going on. And that makes it very, very difficult. I've, I've started in prison ministry. I can tell you raising money for doing strictly prison ministry alone is really, really tough. So it is worth uh, l- looking at that and praying about it. All very, very good places to start. And Lee, where do we take it from here? Um, first of all, um, you know, Glenn's the expert on this. I mean, m- most of the stuff I know about prison ministry, I know from him and, uh, and from following my, my boss into uh, county jails and now into a, a state penitentiary. And I can tell you that one of the experiences that I've had is that, that regulations over what kind of access you have to different guys varies widely between facilities and not only between facilities, but even within, within the same facility based on which official you're talking to within that facility. So you could talk to the, the, you could talk to a deputy warden and they would tell you one thing. You talk to a chaplain, they tell you another thing. You talk to a deputy chaplain or a volunteer chaplain, they tell you a whole different thing. The, the place that we've had the best success is by kind of going in on the coattails of an organization that has access. So our little church would not have the kind of access that we do if we were not going in through an organization that's called Focus Prison Ministries in downtown Knoxville. They get us a, a level of access that we wouldn't have. Um, our facility has certain regulations over even for instance for writing letters like they've gotten a little more restrictive during the during uh the the COVID-19 thing where they would like us to, to for a while they there they said we couldn't write letters at all because they didn't know about the spread of the virus on paper um and now they're saying we can bunch letters together and bring those in on one kind of envelope and they can distribute them that way. So they, you know, or, or they're saying you have to have them on kind of church letterhead, not personal address. So all that to say, there can be a lot of fluctuation over regulations depending on who you talk to. Um, in the state of Tennessee, they have a really interesting program called Take One, which is where you get to be kind of, uh, you have an individual relationship with an inmate and you get to have um, access to their case and you can help them and you can write letters for them specifically to other officials in diff- different branches of state and local government. And uh, and then like I- I've even been in uh, parole hearings to vouch for guys that I have relationships with and stuff like that. And so depending on uh, whatever state you're in may have programs like that that you can that you can look into. There's all kinds of different different kinds of stuff. Like one of the things that, um, which I wouldn't have known about this if it wasn't for the work of like mission USA or the, or the work that we're doing in in our local stuff, but they have like a prison TV network and radio network. And like some guys can even have, um, in our state pen, some guys can even have like a television in their cell and they basically have like an office in the facility that, that runs programming. So, um, you know, we've been making an online church service, we can print that onto a DVD, send that to the chaplain, and the chaplain can put that on the program for guys that have access to a television. And so um, there, all that to say, there's a ton of different things. But the thing that I would suggest really is to look for an organization that's already at work doing a ministry and has for years been doing ministry in the facility where you are live close to or where you're involved in and find out how can you get involved in the programs they're already doing. 
That's really, really good stuff and an excellent next level to go to. Jed, I'd love you to close us out. I think uh, Glenn and Lee got all over the, the ministerial aspect of this. And obviously we are people who are in ministry. That's what we tend to do and what we do when we go behind bars. But if someone isn't necessarily looking to do a capital in ministry, there's still a lot they can do to help prisoners, right? There's no question about it. Uh, Lee and Glenn both did a great job looking at this. I'll just underscore a few things and then add a couple things. So the first thing, again, you said, how how do I help prisoners? Well, there's, there's a big picture answer to that, and there's um, a more detailed answer to it. The big picture answer is if you want to help prisoners, there are kind of three very, very broad categories. So the first is there are individual solutions. Um, that might be visiting, that might be calling, that might be writing, that might be interacting with people through a jail chapel service. Uh, then there are more community-based solutions, and those are going to be things to do with jobs, things to do with housing, um, uh, things to do with drug rehab centers because there's a, a pretty big crossover there. Um, and then uh, another big picture element is actually political solutions, and that's that's worth looking at for a second because um, – we're at a weird time in life where people aren't sure what politicians do, but politicians actually pass laws and um, laws directly impact the lives of prisoners. Um, is, as you may know, laws literally declare what is and is not illegal and therefore what you can and cannot punish people for. So um, uh, laws really matter. They really impact people's lives a lot. And um, if there's ever been a time when we need people with high ethics and integrity to be involved in our political process, that time is now. Um, but again, that's kind of there's three categories. There's there's personal individual solutions, there's community solutions, and then there are, are more broad reaching political solutions. Any of those can help people who are inmates. Any of those can help people who are detainees. And it's really, really worth praying about which of those you want to be involved in, which of those God is calling you to be involved in, because while all of them can help, they are very different. Um, how you get involved in them is different. Uh, what kind of role you could have within them is different. When you might see uh, impact is different. Um, you know, they're they're just very very separate approaches, but all of them can help. This, the other thing that we want to underscore again is, as both of these brothers have said, and rightly so, it all depends. It all varies. Um, what you can or can't do to help people who either are currently um, incarcerated or, or have been in the past varies town to town, county to county, state to state, country to country. Uh, I was talking recently with some friends who do prison ministry in Scotland, and they have a, a very different system with completely different challenges. Uh, some some things are, are less challenging. I think in some ways some things are more challenging. So it, it massively varies. But the other thing, and this is super important, is the situation changes constantly. I think that's one yeah. thing that's been true for every person I've ever known who's been involved in any form of helping either current or recent detainees is the situation is always changing. The situation of the men and women who have been detained is changing. The political situation is always changing. The administrative situation is always changing. So if you want to get involved in that world, and it's awesome that you have a heart to do that. We so salute that and applaud that and think it's great. Um, there are some folks that want a situation where they can get plugged in and 40 years from now, they're going to be doing exactly the same thing they're doing right now in exactly the same way, which there's nothing wrong with. That's, that's great. And there's some people where that's just, that's all they want. This is not that. Um, this is a, a constantly evolving 
One might more say constantly devolving, but either way, constantly changing situation. And so I think as you get into it, recognizing that something that that works and does well for three weeks may no longer be an option on week four. So we want to start this with a heart of determination and flexibility, which we have no doubt you have. That's a really great point. It goes exactly to kind of uh, what our question asker asked. You know, they use the example of maybe a way to like send people books. There's probably some county jail, state prison facilities in this country where that is the easiest thing in the world. You go yep. call up the warden and say, you know, we at church, we gathered up these these encouraging books and they've all been vetted and, you know, you want to take them. That's that's totally cool. There are also places in this world where there in this country where there is no chance in hell. Yep. You would ever get a book to an inmate <laughs> now because I'm already a little drained from a quarantine. I don't have space in my brain to be this angry. There's also, this goes to the political thing. Jed was pointing out. Um, some states are trying out where you can only get books. If you're an inmate by paying for proprietary e-readers, Yep, which is oh. having to be furnished by a private company. And that's a level of evil that we just don't have time to contemplate here on the show. But again, Worth asking if you're ever going to vote for someone what they think of stuff like that. That is definitely a way to care for prisoners. Uh, Another thing we want to throw open is if you take the caring for the caring and helping prisoners thing out one step, you mentioned, you know, you had a parent who was uh, detained for a while. There's a ton of stuff you can do for families and children of people who are uh, in prison, particularly long-term. And there's obviously that's outside a prison facility. So that can be a little more freedom. We uh, know a church up here in Chicago who hired a professional portrait photographer and uh, threw the doors of the church open. And it was put on your, have the kids put on their adorable Easter clothes and come on up here and we'll take a picture and we'll print it off and send it to dad. So if you, that's, and that's great. That's as uh, Glenn was saying, you know, somebody gets that at mail call is that's going to make their week or their month. So if you do decide you want to do something for people who are affected negatively by the criminal justice system, that is a lot of people. And particularly if it's kids, there's a lot you can do. Lee, one more thing on this. Just to echo or to also to kind of add on one thing that Jeb was saying, when we look at the politics side of this, um, particularly for young people who haven't had a lot of experience in reading about uh, political races, elections, and stuff like that. The elections, if you care about criminal justice, the elections that you want to start reading about are your local DA. Yep. Yep. The local DA race, if you are a person who cares about um, detainees, inmates, this the criminal justice system, the local DA race is the race that you need to start um, paying attention to and reading about. That's absolutely right. Um, it's a great, great thing to start paying attention to. It's a great point. Move on to our second question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I've never struggled this much with both loneliness and sexual longing. It used to be easier to believe and wait for the future, but now I'm starting to lose hope. Being trapped at home alone with my brain, phone, computer, and a high-speed internet connection is not helping. How can I cope in this season? And that is a fantastic question and one that I bet a lot of people did not have the guts to write in and ask, Mm. but one of our friends did and we're thankful Mm. For that and leave where do we start off yeah the first place we want to start is the kudos uh for being the, the the person who is bold enough to ask the question that a lot of people want to ask um it makes perfect sense that you're feeling the way that you are 
Um, you are in a high stress situation. You have less outlets that are, you know, just kind of natural hanging out with people, all that kind of stuff. So the loneliness, the sexual temptation, all of that makes perfect sense. I think that in, in times like these, especially, especially with the, I shouldn't even say in times like this, this has never happened before. No, nobody that's alive has ever had, like really had a, had a time like this, especially on this scale. And so this is a unique situation. And, um, and so you're going to face temptation in a unique way. I think particularly with when loneliness is paired with sexual temptation, it can feel like this unscalable mountain, like this just uh, eclipsing the sun. It's, it's this thing that is, is bigger than life and there's no way that you could possibly even face it. But the truth about most sexual temptation is that it happens in moments. It's, it's moments and bursts. And it's like, this is a thing that you can face a little bit at a time. It doesn't feel that way. It feels like this thing that's consuming your entire life and all your thinking and all that kind of stuff, but it actually happens in moments. And because that's true, what you need is you need a good plan, a good strategy and some good friends. Um, you need people that you can be honest with about this. So glad that you're asking us about it. And we would be more than glad to follow up with you and talk about the plan and the strategy. If you've never thought about or developed anything like that before, if you want to follow up with us, we love follow-up questions so we can get more detailed and talk about that kind of stuff if, if you'd like to, but it would be awesome for you to have some good friends that you can talk to. Um, even just text messages, phone calls, FaceTime, Zoom, whatever, whatever, whatever the thing would be, where you would have a chance to uh, just to be honest about your temptations, find out you're not alone and and blow off some of that steam that way. Another thing is, is just starting to look with a lot of just a lot of kind of cold analytical, uh, just kind of a, some cold analysis about your day. Um, about your sleep schedule, your eating, your device schedule, your exercise. I know none of those things feel like they're related to sexual temptation, but they actually all are. And they're all part of making a plan and a strategy for how to best deal with the moments where you would feel overwhelmed. If you've listened to the show for a long time, you've probably heard Glenn talk about the idea that there is a threshold of temptation where once you cross that threshold, you are going to do the thing. There's just kind of no going back after that point. What we want to do is we want to have a lot of grace about those moments where you've crossed over the threshold. And then after that's happened, we want to go back and mentally analyze that moment. What happened? We want to ask the why question. Why did I get to a moment where I was overwhelmed? What was going on around that? Was I stressed? Was I tired? Was I, was I angry about something? All of those kinds of questions so that I can develop a strategy that takes that kind of thing in mind. How can I get to a place where I am, I've developed a plan and a strategy to be ready for those moments so that I'm not as overwhelmed so that I don't cross that threshold of temptation. It's weird to to look at something like sexual temptation and think I need to analyze my sleep and my device time and my diet and my exercise. But all of those things are part of learning how to get some wisdom around facing moment by moment, because it's not an eclipse. 
It's not an eclipse of the sun. It's not your whole life. These are moments that you can do well. It's a really, really good point and a great place to start off there. Jared, I'd love you to pick us up there because I think one of the things Lee is pointing us to, which is very important, is we have some things in our situation that are dialed up. We yeah. certainly don't want to, to discount that, but it doesn't rewrite the laws of physics. Yep. And one of the things we talk about a lot on the show, uh, and you've talked about in, in a lot of good times and strategy terms, and I think it's totally true here, is you need to get over some shock of when you fail. Yep. The idea of planning how to fail is always a good idea, and it's a good idea now. How might we apply that? Totally, man. So in engineering, we talk about planning your failure mechanism. If you've got a system, that system's going to break. There, there are, there's no such thing as a system that never breaks down. So um, given that, you want to plan for it to fail gracefully and elegantly. And for example, not kill a bunch of people when it breaks. That's, that's the goal. So a really good example is the glass that's used in your windshield. Um, it's a special kind of glass where it breaks in a way where it's hard for it to injure people because we assume eventually your windshield is going to break. Somebody's windshield is going to break. So we'd like it to not just cut people wide open when that happens. So there's a failure mechanism here. Okay. What does this have to do with you? The odds are pretty high during this time that here and there, you're going to go farther with this stuff than you want to. Um, you're going to look at things online that you wish that you hadn't. The thing is, if we won't acknowledge to ourselves that that's at the very least likely and, you know, maybe bordering on extraordinarily likely, it's really easy to get into a place where out of kind of shame and shock and self-loathing, we go super, super far uh, for for no good reason. Uh, you know, if you if you think about it for a second... Suppose that you were trying to cut down on video games. You're like, I really like video games, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to cut down on them, and I'm trying to keep it to just you know 20 minutes a, a day of video games as a, as a reward. There are some people who will, they'll pump themselves up and say, I'm, I'm, you know what, I'm not even going to play video games at all. And then when the temptation gets to be too great, they spend the next 12 hours doing nothing <laughs> but video games. Right. All right. That is not planning your failure mechanism. Um, that's assuming that you won't fail. And then when failure begins, there's just nothing in place to, um, uh, to handle it in a graceful, elegant, non-damaging way. You said that you're struggling with sexual longing. I have some guesses as to what that means in your case, but I don't know the specifics of it, but I think it's worth thinking through both what would be a mild version of giving into that sexual longing? That's not to say it's good. And Bible nerds, we know all sin is the same. Save your emails and your letters. But in a human sense, what would be a mild version of giving into that sexual longing that doesn't cause huge problems in your life? And then what would be just for example, what would be an extreme version of giving into that sexual longing? And how do we make peace with the fact that when the temptation gets to a certain point, we're going to go in the direction of the mild yeah. version, not the extreme version? This is an idea that's really hard for Christians to make peace with because it feels like you're making sin okay. You're not. All you're doing is admitting that you are a sinner, and sooner or later, you're going to do some sinning. 
That's that's actually what this is. Same thing with how insane would it be if we said this car will never crash, therefore we don't need a safe windshield. That would be a terrible, terrible idea. But people do that with their lives all the time. And this leads to the idea of being kind to yourself. Mm. I don't know what it is about Christians that they take a really difficult situation and they say, now's the perfect time for me to do the best I've ever done with this area of temptation. I'm going to wait until it's an almost impossible situation, and then I'm going to expect that's when I'm going to set my personal record for how good I can be. (laughs) That is not how to do it, man. Um, I think it's worth praying up and going to the Lord and asking, is this a season where we're trying to, to boldly surge ahead and gain ground and climb a whole new mountain and then sound my yop from the top of it? Or... Is this a time to just, as best I can, one day at a time, hold ground? One hour at a time, five minutes at a time, not completely give up on all progress. I think you should pray about that, but I have a suspicion of the answer you'd be likely to receive from the Lord. If this is a season of simply trying to maintain and keep it in the middle of the road and not completely lose all forward momentum, man, you need to be kind to yourself. And a big part of being kind to yourself is planning out how we want to fail in a graceful way. That's a really, really good point. Yes, there's Something incredibly Christian about the idea of, well, now I have this bronchial infection. Now's the time to set a PR for the mile. Exactly right. <laughs> if I can do it now, I can do it anytime. And uh, Glenn, both these guys have had uh, awesome thoughts on this. What would you add to it? Well, I think, you know, the first thing that I thought of when we got this uh, shelter in place order is what on earth is life going to be like for people who are single and aren't in any kind of a relationship? And then they're going to be at home for this long. That's that's a that's a tough challenge, just on the loneliness front, just on the isolation front. Yeah. Uh, and I have a ton of sympathy for you on it. I I really do. I Amen. mean, as Matt mentioned, uh, some some of us on the podcast uh, love a real good alone, and and we'll we'll take all the alone time that they can get. Uh, but it's different when you don't have a choice. And uh, so, you know, we want you to know that we're with you and that we uh, that we don't look down on you on any part of this. Uh, it's all understandable. Here's the next thing. I'm going to ask you a hard or seemingly hard question about this. Is that we're, before we had the shelter-in-place stuff, were you doing great in this area of your life? Uh, that is to say, can we, is it a case of this has upped the ante and made it a bad situation more difficult, or were you doing great before and this has created a a different challenge? I think it's worth asking that. I think, um, I don't know how your, uh, sexual desires work in your life. I can say how they worked in my single life, which was they were running at uh, about an 11 out of 10, roughly 24 and a half hours a day. (laughs) There was no sudden massive spike that took place based on virus activity or other things. Also, High-speed internet did not exist when I was single, in which case I would have had real problems leaving the house. So 
let's you know let's talk about where these challenges are really coming from. Uh, the, the, this has upped the ante and made it more difficult. No question about it. We respect that, but we're also looking at a an existing situation that we we're already struggling with. So it does. So that means the same solution is going to apply. We can look at limitations. That's a thing. You know, we, we life is full of limitations, and the more you focus on them, the more you're going to give yourself permission to do the wrong thing, to give up, to quit, to throw everything to the side. We don't want that for you. You're trying to get a victory here. We want a victory for you. First step is don't look at limitations. There's there look, there are limitations all over the place. If I want to join the NBA, I have two big limitations, old, short. Okay? So that's those are going to you know really limit my uh, options. I can start applying limitations to everything, say, well, look, there's just no way I can move forward because of all these limitations. What we want for you to do is look beyond those limitations. Here's an example. You're lonely, you're single, you're sheltering in place. That is true for all other single people in your area. There's got to be a mechanism online or otherwise where you can connect with those people and and you don't have to worry about sexual temptation with them because you can't physically be in the same space. So, you know, it, in other words, what is a burning need inside of you is also a burning need inside of other people. And maybe this is kind of pushing things over the top. Maybe you're sitting and thinking, you know, I had opportunities to do something before and I was a big fat chicken. And now I am in a situation where I really do have a limitation where I didn't have one before. And I'm realizing I wasn't pushing through any of those seeming limitations. I wasn't pushing through any of those emotions. I was just kind of letting the situation dictate things. That's not how you get victory. Here's here's the challenge I want to put in front of you. And it's a tough challenge, but I know that you can handle it. If you're a fan of this show, you are serious about what you're doing, and, and we respect that in you. So here's the serious challenge. Think of it like this. Uh, when hard times come, when the heat is on, you're either clay or you're wax. Uh, when, when you put heat on wax, it melts. When you put heat on clay, it gets harder and stronger. And the difference between, for you, being wax or clay, that's a choice you make. Now, understand me now. People who are tough have bad days. People who are tough make mistakes. People who are tough get discouraged. And they get discouraged Mm. and they make mistakes. It's they're trying. They're moving forward. They're getting tough. They're getting engaged in this. So I'm I'm not trying to to sell you on a mistake-free, easy ride or just, you know, just a— Broing your way through all of this, but it's having an attitude of I'm willing to try things. I'm willing to explore. I'm I'm willing to look beat past these limitations uh, because I think you need an understanding whether it's shelter in place or not. If you let the limitations melt you down, there's new no moving forward on this now. There's no moving forward on forward on it later. Make that choice to get stronger as things get tougher. It's a very, very good point. I, I'd love to go back to a little bit of what all these guys have been saying, but Jed puts some some thoughts to it about giving yourself some a break, giving yourself some some kindness. And actually, weirdly, it's going to tie in exactly to what to what Glenn is saying because what we need to do on some level is realize how well we're doing given the situation we're in. 
Um, and that yeah. can look like growth. That can look by like a little victory by a little victory. Um, uh, I want to zero on the thing you said in the question of, you know, I'm starting to lose hope with, uh, I used to be able to believe and wait for the future. Something tells me that's a lot more of a problem than how often you're looking at naughty things online. Um, because losing hope, that's like, that's real bad. That's like the Bible says, don't do that. It strongly implies don't look at naughty things online. It would probably would say that if it were written in the high speed internet age, it doesn't actually say that it definitely says don't lose hope in a bunch of places. So I think one of the things that you might be, Liz, Glenn talks about, you know, looking at your situation, accurately assessing it. One of the things we're probably looking at here is maybe you have as much, a little bit more bad stuff going on in this area of life now. And maybe you just have a lot less of the good stuff in life at all. It ties back to where, what Lee was saying. I think if there's one thing you want to look at, a bad goal for the most part is don't do bad thing. That's, that's really hard to get going. Um, Cause you just end up sitting, especially if you have nothing to do, but sit around, um, you're going to do the bad thing. Eventually, if your only thing you're focused on is don't do bad thing. We want to do some good things. We want to do some healthy things. And we want to look at this connection that's being made in your mind, which everybody's been this in, not in the shelter in place situation, but in the, the single and lonely situation you describe has done of, I did this thing. I do these things. The therefore being, I I'm never going to have a good relationship. I'm not a lovable person. I don't have this gear. I'm just meant to settle for this little thing over here. The, the, the thoughts that jump you from, okay, I did something that is not helpful, but totally understandable given the situation to, I am someone who is destined to be alone. And because I'm unmarried at 23, I'm going to start asking questions about what it means to be called to singleness and all that. Catching those thoughts and the things that lead us to there is going to be very, very helpful. And it's going to tie into exactly what all three of these guys have given you so far. All right, we're going to jump to our final question here. It comes into our email address and it says, I have a problem with my mom. She's with the members of a church and she keeps on telling us to listen or come to the church with her. I openly told her how I feel about it. I don't like it. And I feel like she judged me at that point. Ever since she joined them, she became more vocal about how uh, people who are in her old denomination are bad. And that hurt. She was with that denomination, obviously, because of all the bad practices and stuff. And she suddenly likes to debate about things, religious and non-religious matters. Also, for context, I will list a few of the things I do not like about the new group she joined. One, I always hear them criticizing, pointing out other religions' mistakes. Two, I really don't like how they think they have the most correct interpretation of the Bible. Number three, I also don't like how they think they know who's going to heaven or hell. Number four, my mom deciding to change the religion without telling us may also be a factor. I have a friend who's a member of that church, but I don't find her annoying. She doesn't bug me about how awesome the religion is all the time. Unlike my mom, sorry for the long message. I just really need an unbiased opinion. And we are thankful for the message. We are thankful for long messages. Detail does help us figure these things out. And Jed, obviously we're not really uh, looking to play referee on uh, somebody's uh, denomination or mother's denomination. If they want to email us uh, and give us some more details, we'd be happy to talk with them specifically about that. But uh, the other stuff that's going on in the situation here, the sussing things out, the emotions, where do we start with all that? That's a great question. That's a great question. And, you know, we're, we're sorry for the conflict and, and the drama. I think there's a few things that are worth looking at. Um, so I think broadly, there's kind of two categories. 
let's preview them. One is, is this a good thing that my mom is a part of? That's kind of one thing. And then a second thing is feeling judged. That's the second thing. So, but they're, although they're related, we, we need to look at them separately. So let's start with the idea of, is this a good thing that my mom is involved with? I think one of the things that can cause a lot of problems in life is when we're unsure if we have a difference in preference or if we have something deeper. Some people like, like chocolate ice cream. Some people like vanilla ice cream. Um, one is actually not objectively better than the other. It's it's preference. It's just whatever you're into. And it really wouldn't be right to judge people based on what flavor of ice cream they prefer. But if one person preferred chocolate ice cream and the other person preferred poisoned ice cream, that would no longer be an issue of preference. There's right. something <laughs> deeper going on here. So... Um, for a lot of reasons, there there's some details that you included with your message that we we you know didn't get into here, but having looked into it, we can very very briefly say that the thing that your mom is a part of does not in any way qualify from a historical perspective as a Christian denomination. Um, there are some some pretty loose things that that all people who are Christian would subscribe to. For example, the idea of the Trinity—that there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, this this group actually doesn't believe that. Uh, so, um, and it's it's their right to believe whatever they want, but that that's actually not Christian. So that's that's thing one that's worth noting. The second thing that's related is the the person who's in charge of this organization. Uh, to put it very very mildly has an atrociously bad reputation with people outside of that organization. Mm. Um, uh, Like there are legal implications to it. So when you have a loved one who's involved in something where it's gone beyond a preference issue to it's something where um, I am concerned for them because I don't think this is a healthy influence. That's really a separate thing. Um, That's, that's really a separate deal. And Part of what we're describing here is a phenomenon called due diligence. Whenever you're going to do um, something big in life, you're going to buy a used car, you're going to buy a house, you're going to start a job, your your company's going to merge with another company. A wise person does some research. They do some digging. They try to verify that things are what they think they are, and that process is called due diligence. So it's always awkward when you have a situation where you've done due diligence and the other person hasn't. Um, when you are aware that this is not a great situation and they're not aware of that and maybe don't want to be aware of that, um, that's that's difficult. That's really, really tough. And, and that's what you're dealing with. And we're sorry for it. So that's kind of the first side of this is, is this a preference thing? And it's it's not. The the, the thing that your, your mom is a part of is, is really not a great thing. The second thing is, even if it was a great thing, when you act judgmental towards other people, you lose all credibility. Amen. And that's the thing that you're describing here is people just being uncool, um, people acting really superior, people acting really exclusive, people acting really judgmental. And the thing about that is no one likes that. And there's nothing in this world so right, so superior that it gives the people involved with it the right to act that way. I want to repeat that for a second. If you follow the Christian faith, the the orthodox historical Christian faith, you do believe that you have a truth that surpasses all others. You are also ordered by that truth to speak to everyone with gentleness and respect. 
That's worth thinking about. The idea that the thing that would tell you it is supreme truth also tells you to never judge anyone and to treat everyone with gentleness and respect. I think, I think that's a big deal. I think that's really important. And so when we've got someone where they're not using gentleness and they're not using respect and they are being judgmental, there's nothing to like about that. And I think it's important for you to give yourself the permission to set boundaries in your life that when people present things in a way that are judgmental and that are exclusive and that are uncool, you reject those things the end. I think that's a boundary that's okay for you to set. I think it's a healthy boundary for you to set. I think it's fine to make clear to people, if you want to come back and try and present that again in a non-jerky way, I'm willing to give you a do-over. But uh, the jerky presentation definitely precludes me having any desire to have anything to do with it, separate from whether it's a good thing or not, which in this case is definitely worth looking into. That is all very fantastic stuff and a great uh, foundation for uh, where we want to go with this. And Glenn, I'd love to just pick us up there because as as Jed points out, the basis of this is just a bog standard, somebody being a jerk about something. Yeah. The two kind of coloring, possibly complicating factors, and we see this a lot both uh, individually and in combination, is this is someone being a jerk who's talking a lot of Bible to try to back that up. And this is my parent being on something super hanky. So yeah. those are not great separately and are really deadly in combination, right? That's for sure. I mean, as Jed points out, and rightly so, if we're dealing with uh, something where it's you know in a real extreme, that's a slightly different thing than perhaps what is more common of you know just mom's on something or dad's on something. They're being kind of a jerk. Uh, but uh, but looking at maybe if other people are dealing with a slightly more mild version of this, or if just if you decide that it's a, a more mild version, I want to point you to a chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and uh, Paul's talking to the Corinthian church there, and he's saying, okay, here's here's what you've got. I'll, par- I'll, I'll paraphrase it for you. Uh, it's worth reading for yourself, but uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, Look, you got people in this um, in this church, and they are so 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 holy that they wouldn't eat meat if it was sacrificed to an idol in a temple, and then the people in the temple sold it and whatever, or gave it away, or somehow you got a hold of that meat. They wouldn't eat it because it had been associated with this other religion, and they're so holy they would not eat it. And then there's others of you in this church that know that that doesn't matter in any way at all whatsoever. And it's great that you know that, because it doesn't matter in any way whatsoever. And he says, we need to be understanding of those people who think it's a horrible, horrible sin to eat meat because it was in a temple once. Um. And he uses a a phrase in in the NIV that means probably very little to us today, but uh, in the NIV it says, you know, people with a weak conscience uh, have struggles with these kinds of things. And uh, if I I accuse you of having a weak conscience, you might might not really feel that insulted, because what does that really mean? Uh, But what it means is understanding the difference between what is right and what is wrong. We might use the word discernment on that, uh, but it's that little nudge that you get inside you where the Lord's telling you, this is just not cool. 
It's just, it's a little weird and let's not. Uh, and then other times you get that nudge that says, no, this is fine and you don't need to worry about it. Uh, if you have a weak conscience, it means you are not listening to the Lord give you that nudge one way or another. You've made up in your own mind what's super holy and what's super unholy, and now you're trying to tell everybody else about it. And here's the 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 phrase that Paul starts that chapter off with. He says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Uh, he's saying knowledge puffs, makes you feel all puffed up and swollen up. You want to tell everybody all your brilliant thoughts and feelings and insights and biblical knowledges and all of that. But that's not coming from a place of love. A place of love builds people up. Second thing I want us to look at here is um, uh, parents get stuck. Uh, I think we all get stuck in 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 certain places in in our in any relationship. But parents can get stuck. I'm trying to get this child to hear me on this, and I'm I don't know how to let it go. I don't know how to move to the next thing. Sometimes, as and particularly as a grown child. You have to talk to your own parent and say, okay, we need to change the subject. I have other things I want to talk to you about. This subject is now closed. Let it go. (laughs) Uh, If they can't do that, tell them, call you back tomorrow. Give them time to work it out if that's what they need. Uh, Parents get stuck in you holding that inside of you and repressing that. That's not going to work long term. Eventually, you're just going to you're going to yell at and and get mad. Uh, we don't want that for you. We don't want that for a dynamic with your parent. Here's what's really really going on. If I can boil all this down, in in your mind and and maybe in your mom's mind, this is a theological debate and a, and a back and forth on the theology of all this. It, it is not that that that's not. You know, your real objection is that you just don't like any of this attitudinally, and uh, therefore it sort of has to be disqualified from being uh, coming from a place of love, and you're absolutely right about that. But I don't think that's the real dynamic. I think the real dynamic is this, that what you're trying, what, what, what your mom is trying to say to you is, if you understood what I am saying, you'd agree with me. Therefore, because you don't agree with me, you don't understand. The, what you're trying to tell your mom is, I totally understand. This is not complicated. It is simple. I understand every word you said. said. I have wrapped my mind all the way around this situation. I disagree with you. Uh, and you can do a tug of war on that over and over and over again because mom's just going to keep saying, "Well, no, you, you, if, if, no, you, you can't disagree with me if you understand what I'm saying. If, if you, if you took it in, there'd be no two ways of seeing that." Th- this is what we have to understand: is that's not an emotionally mature way of looking at life. Uh, it, look, if if I present a situation and I tell two people to look at it, two people are always going to see that differently. One might be right, one might be wrong about that, but they're going to see it differently. That's how life works. 
The idea is if, if you show me something, I will be compelled to agree with it and I have no other choice and there isn't any other reasonable way of looking at it other than yours. That's just not a right uh, or good understanding. Your mom really, really wants you to hear her. She really, really wants you to absorb what she's saying. Give her the feedback. I've heard it all. Don't, don't waste your breath repeating it. I've heard it. The answer is no. Move on. Let's change the subject. I love you. Let's talk about something else. Hey, it's a very, very good point. A lot of good wisdom there. And Lee, I'd love to to get you closer by looking at there's there's kind of one other aspect of this, which is um, it's easy to also fall into a certain amount of despair when someone you care about a lot has right. been on some nonsense and a certain amount of anger because there's a certain amount of you have kind of bought a false bill of goods and you're going to go around spouting this nonsense to everyone else. And it can feel like they've kind of done damage to the gospel itself. So where is that in all this and how do we deal with that kind of idea? Yeah, I think this is, I think it's a good point to bring that up, Matt, because you know, even if you if you stand your ground and you handle the relationship in the way that you're supposed to with the boundaries that you're supposed to have and and you do all that with a cool head, there there can be a lingering question inside yourself which is okay, but where do I really stand? It's a very it's a very off-putting and difficult thing to to handle when somebody says that you are rejected by the Lord. And so I think it's a good thing to be able to know within yourself, uh, no matter what anybody says, that Jesus has accepted me. He's the only person who gets a vote on that. Nobody else is invited. And that's the end of the story. In John chapter six, the Lord said, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Um, so when people make you feel like you have been rejected or you have been ousted because of, you know, some wrinkle, some little, you know, whatever, whatever, as far as theology or orthodoxy or whatever they're, whatever they're selling, um, you can know that I have believed in Jesus. He loves me. He accepts me. This, that story is over. And that's a good thing to know. So that no matter no matter how well you handle that situation in these relationships, if there is that lingering question in your own mind of, okay, I think I've done all this well. I think I've done this respectfully. I think I've done this gently as Jed saying, and, and, and I think I'm, I'm handling this relationship in a way that lets me keep going as a child of my, uh, of my mom, as the daughter of my mom or the son of my mom or whatever it is. Um, but, in the depths of my own mind and heart, I'm good, right? Uh, if you believed in Jesus, you are good. And no one, no one gets to say anything else about that. He says, I've accepted you. He says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And you are his forever. And it's just a good thing to go ahead and know that inside yourself, that that no matter what other kind of funky thing comes along, um, I know where I stand with the Lord. That is definitely true and a wonderful note to take this out on. All right, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com if you want to keep that anonymous. Try the song this week. We mentioned our weekly live bridge cast. It also has been featuring lately some new songs, some new bridge songs oh, from our yeah. own Jed Brewer. This is him uh, doing On the Bridge, one of the songs we do behind bars. It's called Even Still. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. 
The Say That Podcast taking a bold stand against Christian ripoffs of video game franchises. Stop riding your bold evangelical take on Donkey Kong. <laughs> Though my father forgets me. you're doing good already so we're gonna try the second verse now here we go the whole song. You've got it. I bet you're feeling good. I bet you're feeling comfortable. We're going to have a good time. So we'll take it back to the top and we'll try it together again. Oh, my father. I'm so glad that you sang that with me. All right.